Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. That is my cat in the back that refuses to leave, if you're watching the YouTube version of this show. Uh, feels like the NFL is finally going back to normal, at least a little bit. Chiefs are putting up a lot of points. Bills are putting up a lot of points. Rams are losing games that on paper they should win. All feels very, very normal to me, at least. But uh, before we get into all of this week's news and notes and analysis and previewing everything that we got coming up this Thursday and this Sunday, because we got some really good games on the slate, uh, EJ, buddy, how are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm good. We're into a, a semi-normal week. We're going to talk about both sides of that coin. There was definitely a return to normalcy and an other side of the pendulum that was a, what in the hell is that? Uh, so we'll talk about both sides on the show this week, but I'm fine, um, and I'm feeling a little festive uh, for those of us that like draft season. Uh, we get to open our presents a little bit earlier. Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl invites, both started rolling out over the past couple of weeks, and the acceptances are coming in, so I I violated the Thanksgiving treaty and brought on Shiner Holiday Cheer, uh, Shiner out of, out of Texas, um, great beer brand. This is their holiday beer. Obviously it's great stuff, but I was feeling a little festive seeing all the invites and acceptances starting to roll in. We're going to, we're going to be heading down to those games in January, uh, checking out all the draft eligible seniors, but, uh, figured I'd start it off with a little cheer. What do you have? Uh, I have a wonderful little dram angels envy Caribbean cask, mm. which is absolutely amazing stuff. Got it on a big old, big old ice rock today because I felt like it. Keep it nice and chilled. And then uh, I got tried and true Cazadores for shot of the week that we'll get into a little bit later. By the way, if you're if you're listening to this right now, because I'm almost out of my Cazadores, if you know a good Reposado that you really like to shoot, hit me up at the comments, let me know, because I'm looking to get another Reposado specifically for this show. And I really am looking for recommendations because I am a total tequila noob and I don't know a whole lot about it. So uh, before we get into... Three up, I want to thank Lucas, Lee, Kojo490, and Carter, who all joined the Patreon this week. Really appreciate your guys' support uh, and kind of helping to make this show possible for us to do. Uh, Wouldn't be able to do it without you, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, congratulations to Andrew Fitzpatrick, another one of our patrons who won the hoodie raffle last week. He lives in New York right now, but he's an Aussie by birth. 
and he's going back to see his family for Australia. So uh, maybe he'll send us some Australian beer while he's out there. Stuff, stuff that we can't get around here in the States. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Andrew, if you're listening. So congratulations to him. And remember, all of you that are patrons already, uh, one of the benefits of being a patron is that you get discounts on merch. So you could check out the store that's linked below if you're intended to get a bootleg hoodie, a bootleg shirt, a bootleg beanie. Uh, you get discounts on all that. That's one of the benefits of being a patron. And uh, with that all being said, let's get to three up number one this week, which is Mac Jones. You know, I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling with the Mac Jones narrative, EJ. I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this because I'm not surprised by any of this. I feel like we've been saying since he was drafted, like, yeah, if he's going to go anywhere, the Patriots make sense. And if he's going to succeed anywhere, the Patriots make sense. And all of a sudden he goes to the Patriots at 15 and he's succeeding and like, I'm not shocked by this. Like, am I shocked that he's, you know, the best rookie quarterback so far compared to other guys that we saw as like generational talents that are in much worse situations? Like, yes and no. But I also think that Mac Jones is the poster child for like, hey, you put a talented quarterback in a good situation and you're probably going to be successful, rookie or not. You know, the only quarterback that I can remember that was able to walk into an incompetently run franchise and immediately make them into a playoff contender was Andrew Luck. And so, yeah, Trevor Lawrence struggling in Jacksonville a little bit. Not that surprising. You know, Zach Wilson, before he got hurt, unfortunately, you know, having a couple really ugly games with picks and leading the league in picks in the first five, six weeks, not that surprising. Uh, Justin Fields doing his damnedest to... <laughs> to overcome the Matt Nagyisms <laughs> that he has to deal with every single week. Not that surprising. So it's like, you know, everything that's happening so far this season, I feel like people are getting kind of worked up about it. And it's like, we said this was going to happen in May after we found out where all these guys were going to go, that Mac Jones was going to the perfect situation and he was probably going to play better in New England than he would in most other franchises. And that some of the other guys that went to worse situations are struggling to overcome them. Not saying they can't, but mm-hmm. it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows in Jacksonville compared to New England. Now, Mac Jones specifically, in terms of like just watching him on tape, he was phenomenal against Cleveland. Deadly accurate, great pocket movement, great decision maker. He's not making the typical dumb rookie throws that you expect from a young quarterback. He's being, I don't want to call it like conservative but it's more so he's just not doing dumb stuff. Like he realizes like, hey, all these dudes are faster than the DBs that I'm used to playing against. Maybe let's not test them. <laughs> and and so he's not. And he's just making the throws and moving the chains. He's, he's got a couple really good, accurate seeds to Hunter Henry this week. And he's just operating the offense. And I'm like, damn, like if they had that last year, they probably wouldn't have gone seven and nine. They probably would have pushed for a playoff berth. And this year... They're pushing for a playoff berth. They're six and four, and they look like one of the more competent teams in the AFC right now. So overall, not that shocked that this is where we're at in November because we kind of talked about it in May. Yeah, I'm channeling my inner Denny Green, right? (laughs) He is who we thought he was, right? And I'm not going to say crown his ass. That's for later. But it's funny the narrative around Mac because everybody – 
And this is what happens during the draft cycle. Started talking about things he couldn't do, right? And it's relative. It's always relative. It's relative to guys in the league, and it's relative to guys in the class. And if you stack Mac Jones up against the guys that were in this class, there are things he can't do that they can, right? He's not as fast as some of those guys. His arm's not as big, certainly, as some of those guys. Um, There's a very strong... Uh, narrative pre-draft that he could not operate in the boot game, right? Could not play outside the pocket. I I tried to tamp that down a little bit. I said he didn't do it a lot, but I think he can do it. Um, It's not what you need to do with him, which is the exact opposite of a guy like Justin Fields, where getting him out in the boot game makes him 10 times more dangerous. So you want to do that. What you have is a very competent offensive staff, right? That has a lot of experience and they understand what Mac Jones can do and do well. And they're setting him up to do that. And that is why situation matters more than just about anything else. And we've always kind of said, well, it's a third talent and it's a third, their willingness to learn and a third, like the team's willingness to fit them into their plans. That's not true. (laughs) At least for quarterback, you know, quarterback's a little different. I think a lot of positions. I think there are positions that are more agnostic in that debate. Maybe running back uh, might be one of those. Um, Maybe interior defensive tackle, but, uh, you know, but certainly with quarterbacks, right? You have a staff that understands what he does well. They're going to maximize that. They're going to do it very quickly. And it's funny, the words, even the words you used, right? We talk about, I don't want to say he's conservative, but we, we tend to have these narratives. We use this language about certain kind of quarterbacks, and it always tends to be sort of backhanded compliments, slightly negative stuff. Like mm-hmm. he's a game manager, he's conservative, he's not making mistakes. We don't talk about the things that he is doing well. And with Mac, I kind of want to flip that and say, yeah, he is getting better at taking shots with the deep ball. And it's about when more than his, you know, his arm hasn't gotten significantly stronger since college, but you made the point of I'm adjusting to the speed, to how fast windows close. And he's getting smarter about when to take those shots. It's not that the shots he's taking are hundred percent better or 10% longer or anything else, but the things he can do and that he is doing, and that he did against Cleveland at an extremely high level, I would use the word rather than conservative precise mm, like that's a mac jones is operating with precision he is operating the patriots offense within his limits with precision he's not managing it he's not getting by he's not doing just enough none of that like he's putting a ball on a receiver at the right time you know at the right part of the pattern giving them uh you know protection he's not throwing a ton of hospital balls which is nice <laughs> that receiver cores like that um he's getting people space to operate for as much as they're going to be able to not a ton of yak playmakers in in the patriots organization right now but he is operating with precision and that is exactly what he did at alabama like that was his hallmark his calling card that is what the patriots understood and that is the one sort of value among many others, that they are maximizing. And that's when we talk about fit and situation. Patriots are doing that perfectly. Josh McDaniel's game plan last week, like, frame that sucker, right? Mm -hmm. This is my quarterback. This is what he can do against a good team. 
And, you know, Mac went out to his credit and executed that with precision. And that's why he is playing such great football right now. I think one of the themes that we see with Bill Belichick teams for the last 21, 22 years, however long he's been the head coach of the Patriots, September doesn't matter. It almost never matters. Like every single year, you know, like the, the Chiefs one year pre Mahomes era, I think it was the Alex Smith might have been 2017, you know, week one, they get out there, blows, blow the doors off New England. Everybody's like, "Uh Oh, it's over. They're done. You know, they'll, they'll have like these September losses in Miami. They had one this year too. If I I recall, that might've been in New England this year, but like they always have like a September loss to Miami for whatever reason. I never understand it. And every year people press the panic button in September on the Patriots. And even Belichick himself says, look, I never know what kind of team I have till mid October. He figures out what can my guys do? What can they not? both defensively and offensively, although he leaves the offense more to Josh. But again, that's the general theme of like, there's six weeks of them figuring out what they can do and what they can't. And then by the time you get to Halloween, they're like, yeah, we got it. We're fine. Mm -hmm. We know what we can do. And now, same thing happened this year. Defense last three weeks is allowing like 12 points a game. They're third in the NFL over the last three weeks in points per game. Their defense is back to being crazy. And so Mac has been given a directive of like, look, your defense is going to protect you. Don't put them in short field situations. Protect the ball. Make the throws that are to the sideline where you know that you're not going to have a hang defender waiting to pick it off. If you want to test the middle of the field, you for damn sure better look at that post safety first and protect the ball. If you need to check it down and we get four yards on third and seven and we punt, fine. Defense is going to flip field position anyway. And they do. And so they are now back to being that, you know, fall Patriots machine where eight, nine weeks into the season, they know what they can do. They know what they can't do. More importantly, they know what you can do on tape because they have enough weeks of tape to study where they know what to take away. And it's really hard to beat. That's why, like, last half of the season, Patriots, both with Tom Brady and without Tom Brady, apparently, they're really hard to beat because once they have it dialed in, once they have their own team dialed in, they become this ultra-efficient, terrifying machine. And I kind of feel like we're back to that point. I am not saying that Mac Jones is going to go win a Super Bowl as a rookie, but what I am saying is there is not a single team in the AFC, not a one, that wants to play New England. Nobody wants to play them right now. Not Tennessee, not Baltimore, not even Buffalo. Because when they get into this mode, they had one year without a quarterback. When they get into this mode, they are utterly terrifying. And uh, yeah, if I was if I was Buffalo, I'd be a little bit worried. Yeah, and again, it, it, we go back to situation. I think we have all, as draft analysts, possibly undercut situation or undervalued situation or just wanted to push it down because it's less fun and it's a variable we don't control. We don't know where they're going, right? And we can say things like, hey, it would be great if he landed in New England and it would be less good if he landed in a place like, who knows, Jacksonville, yeah, whatever. 
uh, because of situation. And now I'm just dialing in on that more and it's going to affect my analysis this year in a good way. This is what you do. You learn from past experience and say, mm, this guy is like, it's almost like a situational dependency dial or rating. Like doesn't matter. Like Miles Garrett, right? Doesn't matter where Miles Garrett goes. He He's fast. He's strong. He's smart. He's got a bunch of moves. Got great hand usage. Plays hard. Like, you can pre, you know, his his situational need is really low. If you can't use Miles Garrett, you're probably not a great football coach. Guys like Mac Jones, very good players. It doesn't have to do with the quality of player, but very much better in maybe situations around a third of the league, or or maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, right? It's not an exact measure, but like more dependent on fit than maybe another player uh doesn't mean they're a bad player and if they get in one of those fits we're seeing what happens right mac jones is clearly and i want to say this as clearly as i can clearly the best rookie quarterback right now not saying forever i'm not saying career i'm not saying whatever else he is wildly outplaying the other four and a lot of that has to do with the situation he landed in so what you're saying is Mac Jones under Greg Roman wouldn't be the same. <laughs> no, no, he would not. Thank you for that. Oh man, yeah. There's a I, lot. I would this. like to see it though, just just for entertainment's sake. I would love to. Actually, you know what? Lamar with Josh McDaniels would be pretty sick. Mac Jones with Greg Roman, not not so. Sick. Yeah, I, I, there's one side of that deal I like better. Let's just put that yeah. that way. Uh, but it's it's fascinating. It definitely influences what we do rolling into this next draft season. And, you know, credit to the Patriots. They took a lot of crap last year. A lot of it was well-deserved. Um, they had a terrible year. They had a down year in multiple fronts. They had a ton of injuries. They had a bunch of guys opt out. They, had, they didn't have a quarterback right off. Um, Cam looked like he was playing hurt even when he wasn't playing hurt. And the, the whole thing went bad. And, of course, the flip side of that coin that's never going to be separate. Tom Brady went to Tampa and won the Super Bowl with a new team, which mm-hmm. is an amazing achievement in its own right. So everybody naturally said, Tom's great. Tom's the reason. Bill doesn't know what he's doing. He's lost his fastball. Look at what happened. And I understand if you're a Patriots fan and you say that because you've had it. A run, maybe the run of sustained it's success. It's never going to be done again. Yeah. Ever. And the wheels fell off hard, and it's very natural when you get thrown out of a moving car to go, ouch, this hurts. Um, it does. However, all that criticism of the organization, of Belichick as a coach, I felt like was over the top, was overblown. It's like, look, he's had a lot of injuries. He had a ton of guys opt out, some of the most in the league for any team. They don't have a quarterback, which we've talked over and over again. If your team doesn't have a quarterback, you're not going very far. And he, you know, to their credit, they kind of, pushed all the junk into one year and got it out of their system. Now, you know, they had a good draft. They got themselves a quarterback. They're making him work. They grabbed some very nice other pieces. Uh, Christian Barmore's amazing. Reminder Stevenson's looking really good. Like, and they're back to being a threat one year later. Right. And now everybody's like, Oh, maybe I was too hard on bill. And you're like, mm, maybe you were. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. Who knew? It was it was just that juxtaposition of Tom leaving, winning the Super Bowl, everything going wrong in the same year in New England, and people really piled on. And now people are rightfully going, hmm, uh, yeah, they're second, like you said, they're second in their division. 
Nobody wants to play them right now, and they look pretty well set up to to make this stick for the rest of the season, right? Especially as the weather gets nasty. Like, they are gearing up for that kind of football, that tough playoff football when the weather turns gross outside. Like, they're they're sitting in a good place. The arrow's pointing up with them and and rightfully so. They've done a they've done a great job riding the ship in New England. This week's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their own unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. The Purple Grid has over 1800 open air channels to help keep you cool and comfortable as we kind of wind down with these hot summer nights and transition into fall. And also, unlike memory foam that remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you move and shift so that you never get that sort of I'm stuck kind of feeling like you do with memory foam. It's also highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body no matter your size and no matter how you prefer to sleep. It's a really awesome, innovative design, and once you try it out and you kind of see how it works for yourself, you'll really understand why so many people love it. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com slash bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10 for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Uh, Speaking of teams that are built to win when the weather gets nasty, you know, earmuff cj but packers defense it's not fucking good i have a lot of appreciation for the green and gold defense because it's not pretty good like they're crushing you've got some great numbers about the last month of their season and look i'm a bears fan but i'm also a realist and realism is i like good football it's the reason i like watching aaron Rodgers play every time except when he's eviscerating the bears on national television right Aaron Rodgers is a great football player, and he plays football at a really high level. And right now, the Packers' defense, without some of their greatest football players, are playing football at a really high level. And I can appreciate that as a fan. Like, that that unit is playing out of its mind right now. I mean, no, no Jair Alexander. He's been out since week, what, four, something like that. There's no Zadarius Smith. Um, you know, Kenny Clark got banged up a couple weeks ago, missed half a game, then came back. Uh, Whitney Merciless just tore his bicep. Like it's, it's crazy how banged up this defense has been before and continues to be. And it kind of seems to not matter, uh, for, for a couple different reasons that we'll get into. But if you look at their last calendar month of games, they played five games, they allowed 11 points a game in that span which is insane. But they played <laughs> against Patrick Mahomes. They played against Kyler Murray. They played against 75, 80% of Russell Wilson and allowing 11 points a game in that span. Like, fine, we'll take the Seahawks game out of it. You can, you know, hand wash away the, no pun intended, the Wilson injury. You're playing against <laughs> Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes and you're still only dropping 11 a game. That's pretty nuts. And I guarantee you they would have beat the Chiefs if they had Aaron Rodgers. Like, let's be real. Like, they absolutely would have won that game. And I think when you look at this defense, 
it's got Fangio written all over it in terms of structure. And we know that Joe Barry uses a lot of Fangio concepts in terms of how they run, uh, you know, two high safety structures, but still manage to stop the run by like dropping those safeties down. Like it's got Fangio written all over it. And I think Packers fans are realizing like, oh, so that's what the Bears were doing for so long. That's why it worked. Huh. How about that? Why didn't we do that earlier? Oh, well, if it pleases the court, I will say that allowing 11 points of game on defense is good enough to win with the Bears offense. Statistically, yeah, somehow, but yeah. The Bears would win a lot of games if the defense only gave up 11 points, even though they're only scoring 19. 19 is more than 11 for those of you scoring at home. It's an impressive achievement. If your defense is good enough to win the game with the Bears offense, your defense is freaking great. Yeah, it really comes down to the safeties for me. Like, uh, like Darnell Savage, I feel like he's finally playing in a system that like actually fits him. It's pretty crazy. Like it, it cuz you know, they played a lot of one high structures and everything like that, but now that they're in two high structures where the safeties are are impacting coverage a lot more you know you play tighter to the line of scrimmage um you're playing quasi man coverage and all these quarter looks and everything like that so he can he's not 20 yards off the ball in the deep post he's 12 yards off the ball and is able to drive on these routes underneath and show off his explosiveness show off his tackling ability not to mention he's so damn quick that he could still get in the run fit from that deep anyway it's like a Buddha baker type talent coming downhill from that kind of depth against the run. And then uh, Adrian Amos as well, who's played in this style of system before in Chicago. And I mean, he dropped two picks in this game, but not shocking. He's been, (laughs) I knew you would say that, but he's been playing like that all year where it's like, yeah, even if he's dropping picks, like he's still getting PBUs. He's still in position because he is like some safeties are just, quarters safeties like that's the kind of system they thrive in where it's like no don't put me deep and don't put me five yards off the line of scrimmage in the box like a jamal adams type like put me at 10 to 12 yards in these two high looks where i can either rotate back to the post or i can you know rob the middle if you want to play a true quarters look i'm tight enough where i can play quasi man cover like some safeties are just built for that style of system and both of these safeties are. And like they are what holds everything together. They absolutely are. Because typically in a, in a quarter's defense, like if you're going to attack anything, you're going to attack the safeties. But if you can't win against those safeties, look at the Bears in 2018 where Eddie was playing out of his mind, mm-hmm. Amos was playing out of his mind, couldn't do anything. And so like they are what holds it all together. And like as long as you know, everybody else is getting hurt, yeah, that sucks. But like as long as they stay healthy, they're probably going to be okay. Yeah, I'll shed a little tear. Uh, Darnell Savage was one of my pre-draft favorites, uh, and the Packers every year uh, pick at least one guy, usually a couple. Actually, the Packers draft somewhat along the lines of, of what I like in terms of players, and there's always at least one guy. And the year they picked Savage, it was a dagger because Savage was Savage was like my guy in that draft in the safety class and I knew that the Bears are going to be playing against him for a while and he he wasn't as effective uh, in his first year year and a half but since they've switched and basically he's playing the Eddie Jackson role in the Fangio defense and 
Amos is playing the Amos role in <laughs> geo defense. Um, and he did that well in Chicago too, but uh, he was a little bit more successful in the other system, but he's been successful. They shifted more to the Fangio style as well uh, because again, he's familiar with it. He's a good, he's a very good football player. Like Hulk is, he's a great, he's a great football player and he needs a guy like Savage or Jackson to support him because that's the yin to his yang. That's the, a guy like that fills the gaps in his game beautifully and seeing savage get rotated into that sort of just like you said that prime spot where he's operating forward and backward with equal aplomb and he's really affecting a lot of the game again i can really appreciate that as a darnell savage fan as a football fan it's kind of a bummer uh that it's the bears rival and not the bears but like great player playing great football and it is fun to watch and i like what you said about the glue right that the safeties in that system really are they're kind of the glue and the cleaners and the everything else like a lot of the defense sets them up to make plays and if they make them difficult to beat the defense if they don't make them that is like you said the place offenses want to attack and if they feel like they've got advantage it usually turns into big plays so it's like a a really high variance swing in having good safeties in that system if you have good safeties that defense can shut people down all day long all season long if even one of those guys is really subpar offenses just uh brandon thorne said red dotting a guy meaning marking a guy on the other team for, <laughs> in his case, he was talking about double teams on the line, but it's the same thing. Uh, opposing passing game coordinators and, and offensive coordinators will take a safety who's playing poorly and red dot that guy. They will they will build plays and schemes to basically put that guy under pressure in a way that they know he typically doesn't make good decisions or doesn't react well, and they'll just tear off big plays. They'll make make him make impossible choices, um, put him in sort of two-way situations where he has to choose. Neither one is great. And if he chooses wrong, it, it, look, it's a 60-yard touchdown. Like, it's just not pretty. So the safeties really do hold that system together. And right now, those two guys have it locked down in the middle of the field for Green Bay. There, there's probably some Washington fans that are listening right now saying, Joe Barry's a good coordinator? What the? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> We had below average defenses. He was here like six, seven years. Like, what? Where'd that come from? Also, he never worked under Vic Fangio. Where'd that? Okay. Well, where was Joe Barry before this year? Assistant head coach of the Rams and also an assistant under Brandon Staley, who runs the Vic Fangio defense. He's not running the same stuff he ran in Washington. He literally just grabbed that playbook, said, yoink. All right, let's go to Green Bay with this stuff. Like, they, they weren't running, like, tons of quarters <laughs> in Washington and in the mid-2000s. Like, no way. Like, they were doing the cover three stuff that everybody else was doing because that's what was working, you know, because everybody's like, oh, Seattle runs cover three. Let's run cover three. Like, no. Like, this is a different style. This is a different Joe Barry. This is a modern defense. So credit to him for, you know, recognizing where the league was going and literally just taking the playbook and then going to a different team with it and arguably executing it better than Brandon Staley even is it with the chargers. So it's, it's just kind of interesting to see the evolution of Joe Barry and, you know, where he was in 2015, 2016 with a very below average Washington defense compared to 2021 with an elite defense with half the starters, maybe at most like, I'm not going to say it's like all system and system is all that matters, but 
damn, this system's good. It's been proven effective in Chicago, uh, with the Rams, with the Packers. Like, everywhere this system goes, it tends to work. Just saying. This week's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Fall is always a busy time of year. You have a lot of holidays, a lot of family gatherings. At least for me, it's probably my busiest work period of the year because, you know, football. And at least this time of year, I tend to have a lot less time on my hands to go grocery shopping and meal planning and, of course, cooking. And that's where HelloFresh comes in. For me, at least, because my house is kind of way away from all the local grocery stores, my average grocery store trip takes well over an hour, and that's not counting the time it takes to plan out my meals and put together shopping lists and all that. But with HelloFresh, I just get all of these portioned out ingredients delivered right to my door. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to plan everything. And every meal that I've gotten has been amazing. HelloFresh also makes it easy to make all of their recipes too, just by following the instructions, even if you're relatively new to cooking. Plus, an average HelloFresh customer saves 28% in cost compared to going to their local grocery store and buying the same ingredients to make the same meals. And because each meal is portioned out perfectly, you're not buying a bunch of extra food that ends up going to waste too, so HelloFresh is more sustainable as well. For people that have crazy schedules or people that just want to learn to cook great food that doesn't cost a lot of money, HelloFresh has been an incredible service for me for a very long time, and I know that you're going to love it too. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to HelloFresh.com bootleg14 and use promo code bootleg14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that is HelloFresh.com bootleg14 and use promo code bootleg14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Why don't we get to uh, three up number three? This is probably the one that I did not expect <laughs> out of all of them. This is the one that I was like, wait, what? Uh, the Eagles have a run game again. And it kind of snuck up on the rest of the league. It's, it's kind of amazing because when you look at the first six, seven weeks of the season, they basically just weren't running the ball at all. You know, they Miles Sanders was getting like two carries in the first half, three <laughs> carries in the first half. It was RPO City, and teams were playing against the run because they were getting – it was all based on box count, so teams were just taking away the run and saying, all right, Jalen, throw it over and over and over again with a rookie receiver and Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins. Like, go, go beat us. And the Eagles couldn't. And they weren't really calling a lot of designed runs where it's like, we are going to move you off the line of scrimmage and get four yards, see if you can stop it. They were all, they were doing all this stuff where it's like, oh, we're just going to attack where the numbers aren't. Very air raid kind of uh, uh, philosophy, I should say. Where it's like, oh, we're just going to attack space. And it's like, that's well and good, but if you don't have the personnel you know, like in Arizona, where it's like either we hand it off to James Conner or we get Rondale Moore <laughs> on a screen. It's like, well, yeah. if you don't have Rondale Moore, maybe you should just run the ball. And over the last three weeks, they figured that out of like, hey, even if the box count isn't great, let's just run the ball with our big ass offensive line and see what happens. We got Lane Johnson back. We got Jordan Mailata. We got a Hall of Fame center. We got some really big, beefy guards. Even if they're plus one in the box, let's run the ball with Jordan Howard and see what happens. And oh, baby, did it work. Over the last three weeks, they are leading the league in rushes per game at almost 42 per game. It's at 41.7. That's the most in the NFL. 
which I know it's crazy to average over 40 carries a game for three straight weeks, but they are. Almost 210 rushing yards per game over the last three weeks, also most in the NFL. 14.7 rushing first downs per game, first in the NFL. Over the course of the entire season, they're 29th in time of possession, but over the last three weeks, they are 9th with 32 minutes of possession on average. Second in points per game in the last three weeks at 32.7, which is insane. And then eighth in yards per play, despite the fact that they're running the ball a lot, they're eighth in yards per play at 5.8, which is elite. So I think once they got out of this whole like, oh, we're going to RPO you to death because we trust our receivers to beat your DBs and we trust our quarterback to make all these crazy things. No. Let's just run the ball. And they're doing it. And they're doing it extremely well. Jalen Hurts is not asked to do too much anymore. And I there's this whole like narrative of like, oh, it's easy to be a quote-unquote RPO quarterback. That's what Tua was at Bama. And it's like, well... Tua wasn't playing against NFL defenses that have a ton of speed on the second level that can shut down a glance route and then also get in the run fit super fast. Like it's a lot different to do it against Vanderbilt than it is to do it against, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. So it's like you can't just RPO teams to death in the NFL and the Eagles figured that out and then switched their approach and it worked really, really well. So uh, hats off to Nick Sirianni for making that adjustment and realizing that they outweigh everybody on the line of scrimmage. And uh, it's working for him. Yeah, you're getting the the virtual death stare right now from Brad Spielberger, who's a Vandy alum, taking <laughs> shots at Vandy. Uh, but you mentioned a lot of the reasons for this shift and, and the reasons that they didn't start there, because the natural question is, hey, if it's working so well, why didn't you just start out there like in installs, right? Running the ball is... You know, day one installs for a new coach coming in and instituting a new offensive system. Why didn't you just, you know, Nick Sirianni and staff get on it then? Well, big part of the running game is the offensive line, a massive part of the running game, any running game. And their offensive line wasn't healthy at the beginning of the year, and it had new pieces. And you get those pieces back, you get a little bit more experience And like you said, they outweigh just about everybody. Kelsey's a great technician in the middle as a center, great with angles, hands, quickness, um, creating lanes when he needs to on the interior. And you start to get those guys healthy, uh, all in the right places and playing well. And then you shift the focus to support that because that's what some coaches don't do. Oh, our offensive line's been healthy for the last six weeks and we're averaging eight yards, you know, eight eight rushes a game that's not going to get it done nick sirianni and staff said the offensive line is rounding into form miles sanders has been there waiting um his fantasy owners are pounding on their screens right now going (laughs) we know uh so we have all the pieces we're going to shift the game plan right we're going to take the run dial and do something that most teams in the modern era are not doing and basically double it right? We're going to go from 20 rushes a game to 40 rushes a game. We're just going to turn this thing to 11 and mash people into the ground and see what happens. And lo and behold, they've got the pieces to make it work. Uh, It is working. It's creating amazing results. And it's creating this huge buffer, not only a physical buffer, but also kind of a schematic or mental buffer for Jalen Hurts to be able to operate with a lot more time and a lot more space and defenses that really aren't able to just sit back and go, fine, you want an RPO? I'm just going to sit here in the lanes because I don't have to come forward to stop the run because you 
you guys never run. Now, every play, basically two-thirds of every play is a threat to get run over by a 330-pound truck bent on your destruction. You have to sort of set an angle and really have the default motion of forward. That creates space in that middle passing game that they want for Jalen Rager, for Devonta Smith, for crossing routes, for little hooks in the middle, um, for Dallas Goddard, like all those guys. And Jalen Hurts is just absolutely slicing that up, right? He's got mm-hmm. more time. He's got more space. The rushers can't just pin their ears back and come. It's not a pass. Three out of every four plays. And... He is evolving. Um, Our buddy Mark Schofield did a great piece, his three throws piece on Jalen Hurts this week. And Jalen Hurts is evolving. He is taking that space. He is using his skills in the pocket movement. He's doing what he has always done and just sort of steady improvement. And now that he has this buffer, physical and mental of the run game, he looks like a whole different quarterback than he did in those first three, four, five weeks. And the Eagles have adjusted which great coaching staffs do and they've got their team in a place where it's competitive. And one of the teams I'm kind of putting a mark by down the stretch to say, I'm going to be checking these games out because this is not the same team as it was in the first half. And they're going to make things very interesting. There was a, it's been kind of interesting to me because again, Jalen hurts has only started like 12, 13 games, something like that in his entire career so far. But people are, like, judging him like he's been around for four years. And it's like, this dude's a puppy. And also, like, he started in college, like, so far behind so many other guys his age. And and we highlighted this pre-draft of last draft cycle, not this one, but last one, where it's like, look, he's he gets better every single year. Started out. As a freshman, you know, one SEC freshman of the year, mainly because nobody could stop him as a runner, but he was not a good passer at all. And then he wasn't really a good passer the next year. And, you know, Tua kind of took over and he sat on the bench, but he was coming off the bench and looked really good as a junior. Uh, When you look at like some advanced accuracy metrics, he was even better than Tua as a junior, even though he wasn't the starter. And then he goes to Oklahoma and all of a sudden he's a Heisman contender because it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And people thought it was like, oh, well, that's just Lincoln Riley. He makes everybody look good. And it's like, well, <laughs> look at look at Rattler this year. He doesn't look, he doesn't make everybody look good. Like he looks you look good if you're a professional quarterback in that offense. Um Oklahoma's struggling this year because they don't have a guy like Jalen Hurts. I'll just say that. I'll be nice about it. And so he goes to the NFL and like his first start, he goes up against a, a rip roaring Saints defense and wins and he was absolutely a quote-unquote game manager, which is a seemingly a dirty word, but goes into this year, and he's basically the difference between him and Mac Jones is like 20 yards of production a game when you account for passing and rushing. They're pretty close. Mac Jones gets praised, rightfully so, for putting his team in position to win games and converting crucial first downs and, you know, not making mistakes and doing just enough to win. Whereas Jalen Hurts, even though his offensive staff did him absolutely no favors the first six weeks of the season by never running the ball and they put it all on him. Once they finally didn't put it all on him, he's producing again, in terms of total yardage, exactly like Mac Jones and all of a sudden they're you know winning some efficient games, they're running the ball, they're playing defense, and it's like, th- there's not really a difference here in narrative to me. 
These are two young quarterbacks, neither one of which have started a full season's worth of games, that are doing just enough to win, and they're not making these back-breaking, dumb mistakes, for the most part. They're not treated the same. And they should be. You have to remember, people, Jalen Hurts is a puppy. He's a second-round pick that's barely started. And he's out here winning games. And they're and they've got like the number two offense in the league over the last three weeks. Chill out. They're doing fine. I think they finally found a formula that works, and if they stick with it, I think they're gonna be okay. Yeah, and Jalen Hurts is the ultimate we said this pre-draft, in my mind, he is the ultimate slow and steady. And people don't like the slow part and they discount the steady part. Yes. And he he will learn every time he will learn every game he will learn every down he learns year after year and he just stacks the rocks right he just keeps going we talk about progression not being linear really is with him it's not parabolic right it's not these huge (laughs) crazy arcs of up and down it is a very slow angled like you know, you, you talk about the great sport. I don't know about great. The very popular sports coaching analogy. We're going to get, you know, 5% better every day, right? Somebody told Jalen Hurts that when he was like five and he's gotten 5% better every day since he was five and he continues to do it. And if you do the math on that, it's like compound interest. He is very solid and. Uh, there were some calls this week on Twitter that the Eagles should not spend a first-round pick on a quarterback because nobody that they're going to get is better than Jalen Hurts right now. 100%. I agree. And, and he is going to continue, even from that, again, the slow and steady climb. He's not going to level off or say, I made it or anything else. That's just not in who he is. And he is starting to look really good given – the talent around him, the time in this offense, the limited number of starts he had, the fact that he has a new coaching staff. That's the other thing. It's Mac Jones, you said, is getting all his praise. Bill Belichick, most accomplished pro coach, I'll say, pretty much ever. And take some flack for that, maybe, but there's a very solid argument for that case. Oh, no, Josh- there's a guaranteed ar- like, Bill. Yeah. He's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Yeah. And Josh McDaniel, like, I, I don't think Josh is maybe going to be a great head coach, but he is an elite offensive coordinator um and that's what max got in his corner nick sirian is a brand new head coach who had limited experience even as on the coordinator level and he's working with uh i remember this from the off season previews we went through the staff we're like wow there's there's a lot of guys here who are pretty green overall there's some experienced graybeards on that staff but not many compared to a lot of other staffs around the nfl and yet jalen hurts again uh he is kind of unshakable you know you don't see him he's a very quiet guy uh in person we saw him up close at the senior bowl uh over several days he is not a guy that's going to be super vocal he's not gonna be super loud he's not he's not super reactive right he's very introspective he's quiet he's poised um and that's just who he is and again it that personality reflects in the way he plays not wild swings steady regardless good play bad play forward and slightly up and i think that's a that's a scenario or a formula that 
Philadelphia hasn't seen. They had, especially the guy before Carson Wentz was very <laughs> much the wild swings. Um, Hertz is a different kind of quarterback, but he is very effective and he's going to continue to get better. And that's going to work for Philadelphia. Like they're going to win games. If the coaching staff again, reacts and puts that team in a good position hurts, especially, but the run game, the offensive lineman, it is a team game. They're going to win games as a team. And look, their division is not um, unstoppable, right? With a little bit of improvement, Philadelphia could be vying for a division title in a couple of years. Well, I don't know. Dallas is Dallas is Dallas. But I'm, I'm going to give you one scenario, though, which we've talked about pretty regularly. Huh. Kellen leaves. Oh, you're talking like long term. No, I'm talking like two years. Like maybe Kellen uh, gets recruited. This year, this year and, I think it's a wrap. Like Dow, no, Dallas no, no. Is I'm not saying year, Philadelphia but. for this year. That's a great point of clarification. But I'm saying again, slow and steady. Again, we're talking about next year and whether they should draft a quarterback and whatever. Like if say Kellen, Kellen leaves, leaves Dallas, like mm. that's and the Philadelphia staff again because it's fairly young it's not probably going to get picked over and poached you know the occasional guy might leave and get a college job at his alma mater or something but it's not a staff that's going to get raided like they could bring back a majority of the staff add a few players in the draft if Kellen leaves Dallas look all bets are off if McCar- especially if McCarthy stays all depends on who they get to run the offense because we've agreed that Kellen Moore is the straw that's stirring the drink right now in Dallas and if he says no nah, I want to run my own deal and I don't want to do it under Jerry Jones I'm not saying that's going to happen but if he did Philadelphia looks in a prime position to be like okay we can take the division yeah I swear I say it every single show I swear to God if Kellen Moore leaves and they don't just fire McCarthy to give Kellen the job, whatever happens after that's Dallas's own fault. I agree. Like that would be catastrophic. It would be a catastrophic. Would be as they said in the Last Crusade, a poor choice. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> you made a poor choice. Yes. Speaking of poor choices, EJ. <laughs> So I watched that Steelers Lions game. <laughs> um, I want three hours of my life back. I watched it out of the corner of my what eye. What the fuck? <laughs> I think that's the general reaction in the world. And I think the first three and a half quarters of regular time absolutely deserve exactly that reaction, which is what am I watching? Why is this? Where's the eye bleach? And why is this on my television? I was at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. I was coming home from a road trip. I stopped in Sunday morning, caught the the morning game. So I was watching the other games for the most part. But throughout the course of those games, I kept sort of turning over and going, what's going on over there? Like, why are the Lions leading? And then why is it even? And then, you know, as, as the morning game started to wrap up and that game stayed into overtime, everybody kind of started turning and watching the dumpster fire right and then fans of all teams which is one of the cool things about going to a place like that are watching this game we'll just use the neutral description you're you're more generous than me yeah you know (laughs) swimming dumpster fire like there's there's a lot of descriptions for what was going on there and people start reacting to both sides 
blundering away their chances to win this thing. And it very clearly became a game that nobody wanted to win. And everybody was just equally disappointed and loud and aggressive about the fact that it wasn't ending and that it was actually going to carry on more. And then people started to have the realization, the people that know the rules, that it could be a tie. And that just (laughs) incensed them even more. So it was this super weird dynamic of this whole mix of NFL fans that don't care about that game ostensibly like turning. They ended up putting it on the big screen because it was the only game still going from the morning. And, you know, everybody just moaning when there were fumbles and missed opportunity. And just it was a very, very weird vibe. Uh, I want to recap the entire overtime period because like everything that happened before overtime is. Yeah, that that was garbage. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. So they get to 16 to 16 in overtime. That's what you need to know. (laughs) That's the Cliff Notes version. That's the cliff notes. This this is what happened in overtime. So Detroit gets the kickoff. They get stalled out after like five plays. They punt. So Pittsburgh gets the ball at their own 19 with a chance to drive down to win. Two plays into it. They hit Deontay Johnson for like a 40-yarder, and then he fumbles. It gets poked out by Marcus Gilbert. Uh, Monty Oruarie recovered. They get to their own 45. So... Detroit needs, what, 20 yards to to set up a field goal? First play back. Picked off Minka Fitzpatrick. But wait. Defensive holding. Wah, wah, wah. Another six plays later, they get set up for a field goal at the Pittsburgh 30. Well within field goal range. Like, that's pre-bow position, 48-yarder. Professional kickers should be able to make that kick. Nope. Santoso misses in one of the weirdest missed field goals you can possibly like it just looked like it just died just completely died so Pittsburgh gets the ball back three and out there's like a minute 38 no there's like four minutes left in the in, in overtime period they have a chance nope they have to punt it away so Detroit gets the ball back they can't do anything punt we're at like a minute 30 left for the love of God, please let this game end. Mason Rudolph, you have 90 seconds. You're starting from the Pittsburgh 11. Go get 60 yards and set up a field goal. Please end my misery. They mount a little bit of a drive. Little by little. It's like 10 plays. They get down to the Detroit 39. You get like six more yards with the last eight seconds of the game. You're sitting pretty. Just get six yards. That's all you need. Hits Pat Frymouth in the flat, fumbles, Detroit recovers, pretty much game over. Like, it's a Hail Mary scenario, and Jared Goff's not going to hit him there. The amount of times that both teams had opportunities to win this game in a 10-minute period, and for whatever reason, just completely fucked it up in the most unimaginably hilarious ways. Like, this was so on-brand for the Lions, but more importantly, this was so on-brand for the Steelers to play down to competition. And, like, they have a reputation for losing to teams that they should not lose to. It's a whole new level to tie a winless Detroit Lions team at home. This is so Pittsburgh Steelers. Every single year with Mike Tomlin... They do this. They play down to competition. They either lose or apparently now tie games that they should 
easily win. And don't give me excuses about, oh, Ben Roethlisberger was out, like, whatever the fuck. I don't care. Like, this is a team that was 5-3 and three in, that beat Buffalo. And you're telling me that you can't beat Detroit? It's, it's unbelievable, but also completely believable at the same time. This game was the most unwatchable, watchable shit fest I have seen in a very long while. And um, I think humanity is worse off for being put through it. Yeah, I think the regular part of the game, the regular time was the unwatchable part, and the OT was the watchable in a very train wreck fashion part. Oh, like, I'm not saying was... watchable for like, oh, this is good football. I'm saying nope. watchable of like, oh my God, I but need it to was see like, who fucks up next. The entire bar was turned to the screen going, what are you doing? Like, I don't even know who you are. What are you doing? That's not how you do it. And they're right. It's not how you do it. A um, couple of things coming out of this game. Well, first, a shout out to Neil Kulong. We had Neil on Bears Over Beers to do the uh, preview uh, the week before when Bears played the Steelers. And a couple of days after that interview, uh, a couple of days after the Bears game, we were going back and forth in the DMs and he said, and I was saying something about Jared Goff. There was a report of, um, oh, it was a report of scouts. At a, at a big quarterback matchup in college football and the lions weren't there. And I was like, come on, how could Detroit not be scouting the top two quarterbacks in the draft? And we started talking about Jared Goff and he said to his credit, this is like five days before the game. He said, I think he's about to get his first win because Neil <laughs> is a lifelong Steelers fan. And he knew he's like, all the signs are there. Um, there were some rumors Ben wasn't already going to play. And he was like, this is this is the one. He just tabbed it as a longtime Steelers fan. Um, but secondly, can we agree that Mason Rudolph is not a thing? However enamored anyone was with Mason Rudolph, he's not a thing. He's not a pro quarterback. He is not even really a guy I won't hold in a clipboard because he doesn't have a ton of value, even in that role. Haskins is a X-factor, non-starter uh, you know, we both like the fit, but the reality is he's not getting chances in that system. He hasn't beat out Mason Rudolph. Like the Steelers need like a complete reload in the quarterback room. They need a starter, but they also need, you know, a mid-level guy that holds a clipboard and they need a developmental rookie and they need all three and they don't have any of them. They got nothing. Like if they cleaned house in that quarterback room after this year, I would not be sad. And I feel like it's almost necessary. I'm I'm now at the point where I'm like, you you couldn't have made a run at Cam. <laughs> well, every like time if, if that up, was what you were staring down the barrel of, like you had eight weeks before he got signed by Carolina to make a run at Cam, and you didn't even bother. Because in like I'm not saying that Ben's played like terrible this year. Like he again, he got the team to five and three. He's kept them afloat, but Ben's not Ben. It's not the same. So it's like, why are we doing this? Why why are we running this? Like, what's the point? This is why, right? At for This is why for the last three years, every time that any quarterback of note comes up, whether it's a potential starter or whether it's a guy that everybody's the kind of Mike Whites of the world where everybody's like, look, guy's got potential. You know, who's he going to displace on your depth chart that you're sad about? And if your answer is Mason Rudolph, it shouldn't be anymore. And 
This has been why we've advocated for that team to take chances anytime a quarterback of any note of any level that's come up. Developmental, starter, mid-level journeyman, like they need them all. And they largely don't do it. I mean, before this, it was Duck Hodges, right? Ooh, what is a Duck Hodges? It's not a professional quarterback. So, and I'm not sure what it is about Tomlin and his staff that make him feel that way or Kevin Colbert as, as GM. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. But again, maybe it's just being lulled to sleep by the fact that you have had a Hall of Famer in your building for damn near two decades. Right. And he's just been a constant. You've been so we don't ah, we don't play in the quarterback market. We have Ben. Why would we do that? Right. We don't want to we don't want to piss off Ben like they piss off Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. We're just not going to do well. The last two years, the bell's been ringing pretty loudly, like the alarm bells have been going off. Ben is getting to the end of his run. Everybody can see it. It's not premature like it was with Brady all those years in New England. Like this is it. He doesn't have anything left. You need to replace him on some level. Go do it. And they just. They've been very slow to bite on those opportunities and it's to their detriment because now they're in a spot where say Ben does get hurt and he's out long-term like their season is over. They're not going to win anything with Mason Rudolph at the home. Nothing. No, I saw a game live against the Rams a few years ago, which was, I can't remember if it was Doug Hodges or Mason Rudolph that played. It didn't matter. (laughs) They couldn't move the ball. They were awful. This was uh, the year that Ben's elbow got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was 20, 2019. They were terrible. They, they were absolutely terrible. And ironically, it was against Jared Goff as well. <laughs> like, for whatever reason, Jared Goff against the Steelers just produces unwatchable football games. Um, I just... The lack of commitment to the future in favor of chasing a present that is 94 five percent or higher not going to happen like just rip off the fucking band-aid like you can be bad for a year you don't even need to be like a terrible team like new england went seven and nine for one year they ripped off the band-aid they said fine we'll be below average for a year and now they're fine so just be bad. <laughs> like, it's yeah. okay. You could be bad for a year. You had success for a long time. You haven't had a losing season since Mike Tomlin entered the building. You can be bad. Just reset. Commit to the future. Like, you know, you want to trade for Jordan Love now at a discount, see what he's got? Fine. Do something. Do anything. Except for roll this back. Because guess what? You were a you were a good AFC team with Ben. Without Ben, you're a bottom five team in the entire league. And you're not a Super Bowl contender either way. So there's no fucking point to any of this. Like, and I know I, I know I'm sounding harsh to Steelers fans, but Steelers fans know this. Like they know that with Ben, they'll win games. They'll be good. They're not gonna win a Super Bowl. And Steelers fans, if they're not going to be in Super Bowl contention, they don't, like, anything less than Super Bowl contention is not acceptable to that city. And they know it. So let's stop wasting time. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I feel like they're holding on to nostalgia, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but it's wrong. And they need to do something else. Yeah, it feels like habit. 
And this is why even in the beginning of, I'd say middle of last year, when it became really clear that Ben was falling off physically, which, you know, look, that guy's earned it. He's taken more big shots than any starting quarterback still going, certainly in recent history, like especially early in his career. That was his M.O. He would just stand there, take a massive blast, kind of shuff the guy off. He did that for years, and it adds up eventually. Nobody, you know, father time comes for everybody. Middle of last year, he fell off pretty significantly. It was very obvious if you were watching tape. And that's the point. Like, do what you need to do. It doesn't have to be roll all in for starting quarterback or a huge trade, but, you know, guys like PJ come available and you can take a shot at those guys, get them in the building, see what they've got, see if they got, you know, you're not, at this point, you're not protecting Ben's feelings. Ben, <laughs> ben knows what's happening, as, like you said, as do all Steelers fans. Like, have something in the can. And right now, they have a Mason Rudolph and a Dwayne Haskins, and those are both non-starters. So basically, you have nothing. I'm with you. So do something, or in this particular case, do some things because you need two or three options, and you hope one pans out, right? And that could be, again, a trade for somebody coming from a disgruntled uh, set, you know, somebody whose priorities have changed, could be rolling the dice on a couple of draft picks, some UDFAs, some free agents, all the above, right? I don't care if Pittsburgh brings five quarterbacks to camp next year. I don't because they'll sort two out in camp and they'll have the three that they like. And then they'll use the season to sort that out. But they need to do something because this whole like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just, you're out of will justs. You're, you're not competing anymore. You're in the bottom third of the league, even with your starter, quote unquote, healthy, like, if you're serious about winning football games, get to it. Speaking of uh, deeply unserious football games, let's go to three down number two. Uh, the Jets defense, I know that you and I, uh, you know, maybe didn't expect them to immediately be like an elite unit or anything like that. But I don't think we expected them to, you know, give up 44 points a game over the last calendar month. Like that's, that's absolutely nuts territory in terms of like lack of I don't know everything on defense toughness tackling ability turnovers anything like they can't do anything so I I don't know what to do about this defense because I I can't I can't figure out if it's a talent issue or a coaching issue it's probably a little both we knew the Jets were not a uh one-year turnaround they were not the Patriots, right? They were not going to be down one year. They've been down for a lot of years, down in personnel, down in coaching, um, down in sort of every way. And they were going to need some serious turnaround to make that happen. And it wasn't going to happen in one year, not with a new staff, not even with a great draft, didn't matter. That's one side of the equation. Like they are not overtly talented and wasting it, right? They have some sprinkled in talent and maybe they're still not using even that to its potential, right? Overperforming based on their talent. But there's also a difference between bad and terabad. <laughs> and they have been terabad over the last month. Over the last four games, this came from Charles McDonald. Shout out to him. Jets defense ranks dead last in EPA allowed at an insane 0.348. You mentioned 
twice as bad as the Bears. The Bears were .201, and the Bears are in the low 20s in overall defensive ranking. So a team from the middle bottom third of the pack is twice as good at defense as the Jets. Um, You know, the Jets have their 175 points in a four-game stretch is the second worst ever since the merger. The merger, for those of you playing along at home, was AFL-NFL when it became AFC-NFC and it became a unified league. That's a while ago. That's a lot of bad defenses. That's a lot of defenses that have been poorly coached, poorly staffed, whatever. So there's a difference between we're not doing as well as we thought we were and we are so far an outlier that we are off the charts like they're having to expand the graph to fit us because we are so far below expectation that's concerning like at any level new coaching staff understaffed yeah you expect them to be bad but you kind of expect them to be down here in the bottom quartile bad not like oh i gotta open the hatch in the floor to see where they're at they're playing really really bad football on the defensive side right now and that's concerning just kind of from an um, organizational standpoint. Um, you know, the NCAA had that thing where when they banned programs, right, the the kiss of death was lack of organizational control, right? You didn't you didn't have didn't have your house in order. And the Jets house is like significantly out of order on the defensive side of the ball right now. And it's just the level of that that's concerning. We know they need some time for their system to take hold. We know they need some more horses to to really pull that wagon along on the defensive side but still you should be a little bit better their breakdowns over the last month last month have been egregious and that does come down to coaching to culture to responsibility to things that are non-tangible in terms of talent um it's just not meshing all the way around and and that's sort of some responsibility on everybody but being that bad is what really sends the sort of signal flares up that some things uh need to change in a big way because you can't win football games that way especially when you compare it to the packers that are playing with like five starters and allowing 11 points a game like it's not impossible to like I understand Marcus May's hurt and everything like that but like it's not impossible to put together good defensive performances when you don't have all your dues Green Bay's doing it, and they're doing just fine. It's like 44 points a game. Are you kidding me? It's it's inexcusable. It really is. Again, this is not me saying that, like, you have to fire Robert Sala, and he's only going to be a one-year. I'm not saying that. You know, like, some people are all of a sudden. Like, they're saying, like, oh, he's going to be a one-year. one. Like, I'm nowhere near that. Nowhere near the fire Robert, Robert Sala train. But what I am saying is... Holy shit, they got to get some dudes in that building. Get your house in order. Like, that's what I say to Robert Sala is don't worry about your job. Your job should be safe as a rookie head coach coming into an agreed bottom five situation in the NFL for in terms of success and personnel and contract and draft and everything else. Coming into a bottom feeder franchise is going to take you should get minimum two years. No questions asked, because that's the kind of rebuild you needed to do. But hey, Robert get your house in order. Like you need to do better than that. Like, I don't care if you're 28th, but be close to the guys that are in 27th and 26th. Don't be twice yes. as bad as them. <laughs> right. You can do it. Um, there's some basic foundational sort of defensive principle football that's not being followed right now. And you need to, you need to clean up what you can clean up and you can clean that up. 
three down number three, another kind of ugh kind of performance. <laughs> Maybe one that we didn't expect at all. And that's the Mm-mm. Bucks coming out completely flat against the Washington football team and dropping a game to them. And, and you know, hats off, first of all, I want to say this first. Hats off to Washington for playing a good game, upsetting the champs. You know, I don't want to say like completely caught them sleeping because maybe that's a little bit disrespectful to Washington. But yeah, they caught them sleeping and they took advantage of all the opportunities. You know, there was the the tip drill interception early on in the game, took advantage of it, you know, got the turnover. There was a, a bad ball that, uh, you know, sailed on Brady for another interception in the first quarter. Again, took advantage of the opportunities because against a guy like Tom Brady, you have to. Can't drop picks against him because he's not going to throw you another one. So, you know, them kind of taking away those two possessions in the first quarter and then just holding on to that lead with a stranglehold and mounting a 10-and-a-half-minute drive capped off with a touchdown to, to salt that thing away, like, that was how you beat Tampa. Like, every once in a while, they're going to give you some opportunities. Like, they are not a mistake-free team. They play kind of a, a, a looser version of football than we're used to seeing Tom uh, Brady teams play with because we're used to seeing that machine in New England. Well, Tom Brady down in Tampa, they they play kind of loose. And sometimes they explode for 45 points, and sometimes they throw you a couple picks. It's a different kind of style than, than maybe we're used to seeing Tom Brady play, but took advantage of the opportunity, got the turnovers, and then just didn't let him back on the field where he could make up with it or make up for it, excuse me. And I know, like, yeah, Tampa's got some injuries at the skill positions, everything like that. But at this time of year, everybody's playing hurt. You know, Chase Young, unfortunately, tore his ACL in this game, uh, which just gutted me because I love Chase Young and I love his talent. And I hope he can become, you know, that Miles Garrett caliber player. So hopefully he gets better soon. But, like, everybody's playing hurt. Like, Washington technically has their backup quarterback because Ryan Fitzpatrick went down in week one. So they're playing with Taylor Heineke. Uh, you know, Curtis Samuel was out. They're playing with Terry McLaurin and uh, banged up Antonio Gibson that's still dealing with that shin injury. Like, they're not healthy, but they kept Tom off the field, took advantage of their opportunities, and just played a really tough, disciplined football game and beat the champs. So you can blame injuries all you want. You can say, oh, well, if Tampa had all their dudes, they would have won. I don't know. We saw Tampa have all their dudes in the playoffs last year, and Washington really gave them a run for their money with even worse talent than they have this year. So I don't know. Some teams just just know how to play against Tampa, and I think Washington's one of them. Yeah, and we mentioned it earlier that certain teams do certain things each year that Pittsburgh plays down to several opponents per year, and that's just kind of an expected thing. And, you know, if I was going to pick one word to sort of characterize the Washington football team on Sunday versus Tampa, it's tenacity, right? Mm. They just kept biting at them. They just kept chewing. They just kept working. They just kept pressing. They needed to come up with a long drive. They came up with a long drive. They had a lot of plays that were maybes. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I'm thinking about that huge hit he took from Antoine Winfield Jr. to convert a key third down, right? He easily could have dropped that ball. He got hit in the head with a missile. And, you know, they're just tenacious. He wasn't going to do it. Um, Heineke played a very, I'm not going to use the G word, uh, he played a very um, opportunistic game. 
he played a tough game. The defense played the same kind of game. And I, I tweeted out that if Taylor Heineke could, you know, bottle and sell an anti-Tom Brady, you know, spray after the game that he'd be a millionaire because he played him super tough in that sort of last year. It was surprising in the playoffs this year. It's kind of like, well, he's doing it again. Is it still surprising? Um, it just seems to be a matchup problem uh, for Tampa injuries or not. And they, they did, they sagged a little bit. They didn't play their best game. Washington played a very, very tough football game and they end up taking the win. But I feel <laughs> scared, hopeless, despairing for the giants because Tom, oh, yeah. Tom Brady is a pathological destroyer after a bad loss. After a, a game that he doesn't believe he should have lost, he you can go back at the history books. He has very few two-game losing streaks. And what he typically does after a bad loss is embarrass the team across from him. He comes out with an anger and hurts them. And look, the Giants aren't... Um, you know, maybe the best dog to bring to the fight anyways in this particular case, but Tom's going to massacre them one way or another. And if, mm. uh, if I was betting on one game next week and Tom Brady stays healthy and off the COVID list, I would put whatever I had on Tom Brady to win the game because he's going to thrash the giants. I feel legitimately poor for them. They're, they're, uh, they're in for a rough, rough sunday because tom doesn't take the embarrassment of a bad loss well i'm looking up the line right now for that game uh let me see here so let's see tampa, it's not enough <laughs> tampa giants i'm getting to it i'm getting to it here yeah tampa favored by 11 i still would probably like i i know yeah i Gronk might hurt, even take AB the line hurt. in that game but i would take them outright as tampa to win for sure with whatever i had like I, I would be shocked if Tampa drops that <laughs> game. It's minus five forty on the money line. Oh my god, that's actually really funny. <laughs> that's that's, that's pretty... basically Vegas is like everybody's betting Tampa. Everybody's betting Tampa. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and well, they should. Historical precedent says that's a smart money bet. But you know, teams do this. It's a long season, seventeen games. You're gonna come out. People say it's hard to win a game in the NFL. It is. People say any given Sunday, team can rise up and play well against, you know, across from you. They can. Um, when that happens in combination, when you play a game poorly, you come out flat, whatever it is, you suffer a couple of key injuries. Vita Vea went down with a knee injury as well on the Tampa side. He's key to their run defense. And the other team plays up, right? The other team plays like they're not scared of you and maximizes every opportunity, gets a couple of favorable bounces early on. This is what happens. Right. And it happens, happens almost every week. We have a game that's like, ah, I was sure they were going to win that game. Oh, nope, they didn't. And it's usually because one team came in a little bit low. The other team came in raring to go and the ball bounced their way a couple times and they didn't let it drop. They just kept pushing. Uh, also, a quick update uh, on Vita Vea, who got carted off with a knee injury in this game. Uh, Ian Rappaport said he was diagnosed with a bone bruise and a slight MCL sprain after his MRI. This was yesterday. Uh, so he will, or may, quote unquote was the word used, but most likely will miss some time. 
but we'll probably be back at some point later this season, which is huge because Vita Vea, as we know, is honestly, I could argue like top two most important players on that defense. Like I, the linebackers are great. The edge rushers are talented. Secondary could use some work, but Vita Vea and what he brings to the middle of that defensive line, his ability to single-handedly change the math in the run game to keep an offense honest and set up long yardage situations for them to dial up all these crazy pressures and stuff like that. Like Vita Vea is the dude for them. And I, you know, it's good to see that he's not going to miss the rest of the year. Cause if he did, that would be a massive blow in my opinion to their Super Bowl odds. But if there's one reason why I might take giants plus 11, it's because Vita Vea most likely won't play in that game. And Vitavea not playing in that game for a defense in Tampa that's already been very up and down this year. I'll be kind and say they've been up and down. Um, that's huge. That's huge. And if they can just run the ball on Tampa with Vitavea out and keep Tom off the field, a vengeful Tom off the field, they have a chance to... A, yes, they have a chance to win. It's a slight chance, but it's a chance. But at least they have a better chance to not lose by more than 11. There's my gambling hot take of the week. (laughs) (laughs) I call that a very hot take. I think Tom would too. (laughs) Uh, Three interesting number one. We'll get down to that. Uh, Speaking of some elite offenses returning to form. You know, I kind of mentioned at the top of the show, but Buffalo, uh, you know, putting up a 40-burger. You had the Chiefs putting up a 40-burger. You had... Dallas (laughs) putting up a 40 burger, scoring like 30 plus points in the first half alone. All of these elite offenses that had really down weeks last week, you know, Buffalo Mm. lost to Jacksonville, put up, what was it, six points. Uh, You know, Dallas was down 30 to nothing to, to Denver. The Chiefs had a really long stretch of terrible offensive productivity. They all kind of looked at week 10 and said, no more. We're going to get back to our explosive, over-the-top, you know, massive runs of points kind of ways where you blink and they put up 20 on you. Like, back to back to back. Like, it's it's amazing when these teams are at their best where it's like, we score quick, we get a, we get a quick stop, we score quick again, we get a quick stop, we score quick again. In like a six-minute period, they put up 21 points. All of them can do that. And they're one of the few teams, in my opinion, that can do that. And they all did it this week for the first time in a while. So I personally found it interesting that they all kind of got off the schneid at the same time. And part of it's matchup. Like, yeah, the Raiders play a lot of single high, play a lot of cover cover three. They don't really blitz a lot. Um, it's, it's a lot of... It's a lot of the stuff that the Chiefs are good against. So I wasn't super surprised to see them put up that kind of performance. And I wasn't super surprised to see Buffalo put up that kind of performance against a Jets defense that is terrible. And I wasn't super surprised to see Dallas put up that kind of performance against an Atlanta defense that's also terrible. Like they all had kind of help with matchups. But seeing them all take advantage of those matchups and just exercise some demons and just, you know, almost kind of instill confidence in themselves. Like, yes, we can still beat the shit out of people. And it feels good. We're back. 
We're not terrible. We can really do this again. Seeing all of them kind of have a get right game at the same time, uh, at least for me, was highly entertaining. Obviously not entertaining for the teams that they did it to, but at least for me and my fantasy teams, I loved it. (laughs) And my fantasy teams. There's the kicker. It is fun and it does sort of make me or us look down at this and go this is what we were talking about when we picked all three of these teams to win their divisions like this is what we were talking about this is what they can do and it is interesting i always love looking at the box score by quarter right any game right and these teams in their prime you look down and there is at least one quarter where it says like 24 or 28 or whatever and you're like holy crap that's a game's worth of points in a quarter Right. Sometimes it's lucky bounces. They were driving and they just happen to score two seconds into the second quarter and then they're just on the way. And they add two more touchdowns and you know, hey, there's your twenty one points in the quarter. But there's those unbalanced quarters are are hard to come back from. And all these teams can put them up. They haven't. KC's been the uh least regular participant in that club. They've had the sort of longest and most prolonged offensive struggle of of these three for the for this season. But it's fun to see all the pieces work, uh, just like when we were talking about, <laughs> it feels like a million years ago, but the Jets came a couple weeks ago and Mike White came on. It's like, this is how they intended this team to play, at least on the offensive side of the ball. This is how they wanted to see all these weapons work together. And the NFL is more fun when you see more teams doing that. And Buffalo, Casey, and Dallas all look like that this week. And that makes for really fun watchable football in in my opinion um one point about the buffalo bills that uh my buddy joe marino came up with and this is great occasionally there is one player we just talked about vita vea being important to the packers defense and, and how different that unit is with him in the lineup or out of the lineup joe marino brought up a really good point uh joe works for the draft network he also uh does a bills podcast um lifelong bills fan brought up a point about spencer brown the tackle for the bills so buffalo bills games without spencer brown in the starting lineup at right tackle and with him so four games with points per game 38 and a half yards per game 448 rush yards per game 135 that's with brown in the lineup five games without so he's been out almost well a little bit more than he's been in Five games without Spencer Brown. Same stats. Points, 25-2, down from 38-5. Yards per game, 364, down from 448. Rush yards per game, not as big a difference. Goes from 135 down to 111 without him in the lineup. But those first two, dropping hmm, about 80 overall yards. And the bigger one, you know, 13 points a game? right one player the difference is and you could say yes there are other factors of course it's football it's a team sport there are 22 players on offensive defense plus special teams like lots of variables but if you say one player really makes a difference in this lineup like spencer brown in mm, i like the bills chances (laughs) you know they're putting up 38 a game i like their chances against pretty much anybody I mean, having a having a backup tackle that gives up a pressure at the wrong time can sometimes be a 14-point swing. It totally can sometimes agree. be the difference between a touchdown and a sack fumble. Like, having a good offensive lineman, and again, people never 
realize this, but a lot of the time when a quarterback is holding the ball and locked down the field, it's because there's a dude that's about to come open 30, 40 yards down the field. So if they don't feel pressure because they're seeing like, oh, the safety lean the other way, I'm going to hit this deep post, and they don't feel the pressure because your tackle gets whipped off the line of scrimmage and hits him as he releases, and it's a sack fumble, goes back the other way, that could be a 14-point swing. If the tackle held up for half a second more, it could be the difference between a a 60-yard touchdown or giving up a sack fumble for a touchdown. And I'm not saying like that's the scenario that plays out every single week when, when he's off the field, but... Yeah, having good starting offensive line kind of matters. Yeah. And Spencer Brown's a guy we looked at that had immense physical potential. He's a huge dude. Like massive guy. Big, big, big man. And most offensive linemen are Spencer Brown's big um, in and among them. He's half he's one of those guys that's half a head taller than all the guys he's standing next to. Big, big dude, but he's playing quality football on a very good offensive team. Just fun to take those little nuggets and and bring them to you all and say, hey, we talk about it being a game of inches. Sometimes it's a game of availability. Like he's in, their chances are really good. 38-5. Look, their defense is good enough not to give up 38-5. If they score 38 and a half with him in the lineup, they're probably winning, right? He gives up on average one pressure per game, which is like elite tackle numbers. That's like Ronnie Stanley numbers when Ronnie Stanley's healthy. Like, he gives up a pressure a game. It's like 1.2, something like that. That's insane, especially for a rookie. Yeah, it's so good. And highlighting the difference that one player can make in what is the ultimate team sport is is really fun. So I wanted to bring you that one. Um, the last of three interesting this week. Turns out you can go home again. Cam back in Carolina. Um, you put out a tweet that just said, just just feels right with Cam in a Carolina jersey. Like, the NFL is just better with Cam in a Carolina jersey. And what a difference, you know, one, <laughs> one week makes, right? Forget one month. Uh, a month ago, Sam Darnold still had some hope. He'd had his first bad game after, you know, three or four decent ones, good ones to start the year. And it was starting to turn down. Now, a month later, like, he is out of the picture like sam has been erased they got him on ir it's very clear he's he had his shot it was short it's not gonna last they go out and get cam newton off the street sort of hometown hero returns and comes in on a very light week and scores two touchdowns like the the great question by the pool reporter after the game how much of the offense did you know cam all-time elite answer from cam newton two touchdowns worth (laughs) that was the best so good i mean he looked spry i guess is the best word is like you know on that on that touchdown run i was like that looks like cam like he doesn't look like he lost a step um you know we obviously didn't really get to see him throw much because he wasn't on the field for a whole lot of snaps but it sounds like he's probably going to end up starting this game against his old coach Ron Rivera with Washington you know he only had like four throws still got a touchdown out of it so I'm curious to see what he looks like throwing as a starter this week presumably but at least as a runner he looked like Cam you know just big fast dominant you know uh, athletic marvel cam newton 
So I'm jacked. I'm jacked to see what he looks like. Uh, I'm excited to see him back in Carolina because it just he it's one of those things where it's like being in that white and teal jersey. It it's wrong if he's in anything else. He needs to be in that jersey. And it was like yeah, it was a good fit in my opinion in New England for what they like to do on offense. Unfortunately, he got COVID and he just he wasn't the same after COVID. Even he admitted he wasn't the same after COVID. Before he got COVID, I felt like he was playing really well, and I thought like New England was on the verge of you know maybe defying some expectations there. But man, seeing him in a Panthers jersey versus in a Patriots jersey, it just feels right. It just feels—I don't even want to use the word nostalgic. It just feels correct. It feels like the world is is back to normalcy a little bit. You know, maybe that's the theme of this show: is the world's back to normal <laughs> a little bit. Buffalo's little putting bit. up forty points. Dallas is putting up 40 points. The Chiefs are blowing out the Raiders, and Cam Newton's back in Carolina. We're good. So I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. The sideline to this that we get to talk about, if we're talking about flip sides of the coins, which is the, the subtitle of this show, back to, back to somewhat normalcy is the, the big title in the lights, and the subtitle is the flip side of the coin. The flip side of the coin is, what in the hell was Carolina doing passing on Justin Fields? Oh God, yeah. It, like, well, even Mac at this yeah, point, like if you we're, know, if we're Mac, gonna go full hindsight, you know. And again, is if you had to take, I'll just ask you this because I just thought of it, and it seems like a fine question. If you had to take the offensive skill position players from New England or from Carolina, which group do you take? Oh, Carolina, T.J. Moore, CMC, Robbie Anderson's your number three. We love Terrace Marshall. Like, it's not even a question for me. Like, your number one receiver is Jacoby Myers or DJ Moore. Like, who would you rather have? Your number one running back is Christian McCaffrey or Ramondre Stevenson or, you know, Damian Harris. Like, pick one. Yeah, I, I want care. Like, now, offensive line-wise, New England, mm. by a lot, because Carolina's offensive line is terrible. But at least Justin Fields, I think, is athletic enough to still do a little something-something under pressure. You know, maybe Mac wouldn't be as successful there as Fields would be. Again, we talk about how fit is everything. But Mac would still probably do a lot better than Darnold did because he's not going to make those stupid throws that get picked off like Darnold did repeatedly. Like, he had those first three weeks where it's like, oh, shit, okay, this is working. This is, this is, I feel good about this. And then he just completely fell off a cliff. Whereas Mac's the opposite. He started out kind of like, okay, we're not really seeing a whole lot here. And then he you know, really, really started spiking. And Justin Fields, I think, is the same way. Started off, we're kind of like, eh, I don't know. But then, you know, late October, the Steelers game especially, really kind of took off. So kind of opposite trajectories there between the rookie quarterbacks and Darnold. But I agree, like, this is a team, I think we even said it in the draft stream, when, you know, when they when they took uh, J.C. Horn, who we loved, by the way. Mm-hmm. Great corner. But as soon as he got past Carolina, that's when you and I, I think, first started taking it seriously <laughs> that Justin Fields could be a bear. Because we're like, oh, that, like we just assumed he would go to Carolina. And he didn't. Yeah. And we're like, oh, shit, like this is possible now. Eyes and, got a little bigger <laughs> at that point, for sure. But this is, you talked about this with New England, right? In the way the team's built, right? And the balance between offense and defense and what Max being asked to do and why is because the defense is playing extremely well. Guess who else is playing really well on defense right now? Carolina. 
Carolina. They took yeah. all defense in the draft, not last year, but the year before. All defense, not a single offensive player, right? They built a threshing machine of a defense. Now, if they'd supported that with any kind of consistent offensive performance, the balance of that team would be formidable right now, whether it's Mac, whether it's a developing Justin Fields. And you can say that Carolina's offensive line is terrible, and you'd be right, but it's not worse than the Bears' offensive line right now. So if Justin Fields can do... Ooh, I don't know. Well, now, with Borum coming back and Peters rounding into shape, okay, maybe I'll give you a push. But the first month of the season, not even close. Bears' line was a tire fire. So... You know, it would be at least a push, if not a little bit. And the skill position players. Anyways, so this feels like a disservice by Carolina. And I know they wanted to take the one-year rental on Sam. I know they've still got draft capital for next year. But it really feels like you did all this investment on defense. You built a team to stop the other team. You assembled some good skill position talent. Yes, still needs some help along the offensive line. And then... It was like Darnold or bust. And after four weeks, it was bust. And you're left with, oh boy, we got to sign Cam off the street. Not that that's a bad thing. I like the homecoming. I think it's fun. But literally, that was your plan. It wasn't your plan, right? That was not what you were planning, you know, at that point. You were saying, we're all in on Darnold. And that's it. There's, we're all in on Darnold. Now, PJ. Showed some flashes. Be interesting to see what he can do, you know, maybe with longer exposure. But again, that's not going to happen now. So they, they clearly don't believe in that either. If you think PJ is the answer, you don't go sign Cam off the street to be the backup. That's not what he's going to do. So it's just a weird approach. I like so much about what Carolina's done in the draft and with draft strategy and trading down and amassing draft picks and free agency signings. Like I really like the way the team is built. And then they just went, well, if Darnold doesn't work, we're kind of up a river with no paddle. And that's where they got left. And it just feels incomplete. It feels weird because they had the chance. They had a high draft pick. Both guys were there. Mac was there. Justin Fields were there. It's not like, oh, well, they would have had to. No, they were both there. Look, they took a great corner, but a great corner is not going to lead your offense to points and points wins you games in the NFL. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird yeah, situation where it's like they didn't take a bad player, but they still might have taken the wrong player. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens with Fields' career. We'll see what happens with Mac's career. But like right now, in November of 2021, they probably want that one back. <laughs> I'll just be kind. Well, Panthers, I think, would be a better team with either of those players. Oh, yeah. They probably would right be in now, contention for first seed in the NFC. They, Yes, they would be. They'd be right there much more competitive than they are. So if that's the measure, they took the wrong player. It's not the measure. We'll grade this in three years and see how things go. But right now, I'm with you. Right now, they'd be a better team if they had a better quarterback. Which maybe, maybe Cam Newton will be. I guess maybe we'll see. he will be. Maybe. Uh, let's get to the bootleg shot of the week. Bop we had a uh, crazy, crazy vote. Wow. Did you hear that? I that did. Bottle. Uh, crazy battle for last week's winner. And the winner by one vote. Elite cork sound there. Uh, Eno Benjamin running over uh, some poor, poor 
emphasis on the word poor uh, 49ers DB on his way to the end zone because I mean my, this was a soul-crushing shoulder check of a of a touchdown run and you know Eno's been a bootleg favorite since before he was even drafted so you know we take a little bit of pride in this one but hell of a run by him bone shattering hit by him and uh, he is this week's winner and for all of you that voted for Troy Reader just know that uh, I agree with you I would have said that he was the winner but he got outvoted. Sure. Yeah, Troy Reader in a dead heat. One vote behind. He don't won by one vote, but uh, that's the that's the majority wins. And you're drinking your Cazadores, and I have something that you think is probably whiskey, or at least you thought it was when you tasted it when you were at my house. But this is the Dooley's eight-year aged oh, rum. Oh, that rum, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's nice uh, as a shot if you're not familiar with rum or, or think you don't like rum because all you've had is like cheap white hot rum go get yourself some Dooley's aged eight years um in casks good stuff goes down really smooth so here's to bootleg favorite Eno Benjamin winning shot of the week good shit Mm. Casadores good shit so smooth god so smooth you got a better one than me you don't even have to chase yours (laughs) <laughs> no, it's like drinking. Oh, it's like drinking butter. It's so good. I know people are like drinking butter. That sounds terrible. I'm like, mm, gotta have good butter. <laughs> uh, this week's nominees: option number one, Sean Bradley coming in with a whale of a hit on special teams. This was sent to us uh, on Twitter uh, by Chris. So Chris, if you're listening to this, thank you. We appreciate you uh, for bringing attention to this one because I didn't actually see this one live, so it would not have been included. If you didn't send this to us on Twitter, but it was a hell of a hit. We just had to nominate it. Uh, Option number two, we got George Kittle welcoming Von Miller to the NFC West with a glorious pancake block. Good to see George back doing what he does best. I know people love to think of him as a a receiver, but that man can block his ass off, you know, showing his Iowa roots there. Uh, Speaking of blocking his ass off, Creed Humphrey is option number three demolishing some poor Raiders DB. I didn't catch the number before I before I put this one in here, but that one was like, that was a play that I immediately clipped off and put on Twitter, like live during the game, because it's like, oh my God, Creed Humphrey. Like he needs to be appreciated for this uh, uh, demolition of the Raiders defense. He's been one of the best centers in football this year, by the way, even as a rookie, both him and Trey Smith have been phenomenal picks for the Chiefs. Uh, and then last but not least, another fellow rookie, uh, Javon Holland, when I was doing my film study for uh, the film room this week, which is on that really weird uh, Dolphins-Ravens game from last Thursday night where the Dolphins defense completely shut down Baltimore. This was like the second play of the game, and uh, Javon Holland tracked down a sweep from Devin DuVernay and just blew him the fuck up on the sideline. I mean, I'm t- I, like sent him flying like five yards off the field. It was a massive massive shot probably my favorite of the week if i'm being honest but uh i i had to throw it in there javon holland hell of a hit played an amazing game set the record at least as far back as people have tracked it for number of times a db has blitzed in a game with 21 (laughs) which is insane uh it it was the weirdest game (laughs) that i think i've seen this year including the steelers lions game just because they played zero, like 
45% of the time and it worked, <laughs> but it was a crazy, crazy game. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to throw Javon Holland in there as our fourth nominee for the bootleg shot of the week. Yeah, they they previewed this last year, right? They played a bunch of zero through the middle of the season. We called it out as we had our weekly recaps on bootleg last year. And there was a stretch where they did this platoon bit and they brought zero certainly more often than just about any team in the league. Not as many times as they did against the Ravens, but they went through a stretch. I want to say it's like weeks, like six to nine or six to 10 last week, where it was like every week they were lining up in zero, four or five, six times and just going, come on, beat us. And doing that creative, go till you get, go till you engage, drop everybody else, fill the passing lanes, run those diagonals to run, you know, basically clog the short cross and, you know, Teams got to go deep, right? They got to go vertical. They got to hit a seam. And if they don't, you're just going to get smashed because that's that's the way it works. And it's hard to beat. You got to have a got to have a sort of cool hand Luke quarterback that's just going to stand in there and take the whack, um, make them back off. And uh, that didn't happen. But Holland covering major ground on a guy that's got plenty of speed got to the edge but what was amazing about that from the all 22 from the behind angle is how far duvernay flew before he landed on his shoulders yeah, it was like five six it's yards like four air, air yards from <laughs> on the sideline to in the air on the white landing on your shoulders like he got detonated um creed humphrey slipped before regaining his feet and absolutely steamrolling that guy that's a piece of that play that gets missed comes out stands up basically slips on his first move recenters his feet and goes hunting that one's great kittle kittle just being kittle man vaughn i think wasn't quite ready for like full kittle you never go full kittle well kittle goes full <laughs> kittle all the time basically picked him up drove him backwards like it's been probably a bit since vaughn's had one of those uh, yeah. interesting to go back and figure out the last time he got sort of decleated and upended and put on his shoulder blades kittle had no compunction gave zero fucks about doing that and the sean bradley one is a straight 90 degree like full slab rib shot on special teams that moves the returner immediately sideways like going forward going sideways no transition <laughs> and those you know uh, if you've ever played football you 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 know what that feels like when those are the your, ones that hurt. Yeah. All your organs <laughs> kind of stay in the same place and your frame moves to the side. And then you get up and kind of reshuffle all your inside parts. Cause they're not in the right place anymore. That was one of those. So a lot of good uh, nominees this week. Thanks to all the fans. Uh, there were several that we didn't get to put in, keep them coming. You know, we do this every week. We really enjoy it. Uh, we hope you do too. Um, didn't put the McLaurin one in there. It was Antoine Winfield and it was helmet to helmet. Winfield launched, hit him dome to dome, which we don't condone, but that one I tweeted about because that was, that was a hell of a noise, even in a loud bar with the sound down, like, Ooh, that was a crack. Um, That's when you could feel with your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Was, ooh. So anyways, great section. Thanks for all the help with it. Um, moving on to the watch list. I feel like it's a low-key, good, sort of interesting week for, like, good matchups. Like, late-season matchups. Like, there are storylines here. It may not be the best teams or the division leaders or whatever else, but we talked about some teams already that are developing that look like they could be that second-half team that kind of gets on a groove and that helps them roll into next year. So 
picked four games. Bengals Raiders, because it's two sort of teams in the middle, and and I already stated that my interest in the Raiders playing well is I don't want to see them start that second half slide. Bengals have been a tough team, but up and down. Somebody's going to have to win this game. I hope that the Raiders play well, play tough. Next one is Cardinals Seahawks. Um, Russell's back. He was back last week, but it was sort of like that first game back. Maybe it's like the first game when you get on, you're playing your video game with your friends and you get wiped out and you're like, ah, that was my warm-up game. Well, Russell and the Seahawks offense didn't get a lot going against the Packers. Feel like with a full week of practice, him being back, him being healthy, playing again a division rival. Um, But Cardinals have played the Seahawks tough and they're playing much better football this year than they have in years past. So it's an interesting matchup. Cowboys and Chiefs. Two weeks ago, this would not have been an interesting game. Cowboys should probably wipe the floor with the Chiefs, but Chiefs seem to have found a little bit of their offensive mojo. So Cowboys again returned to form last week. Now we have two teams that maybe are coming at this game a little bit closer to their peak. That could be really fun. Uh, And the last one is purely from the sort of Cam versus Rivera option. These two guys like each other, but Rivera was the coach when they said, hey, we're going to move on. Washington and the Panthers. Uh, you know, we're. I think Washington, this feels like a little bit of a trap for them because how could you get uh, more jacked up than playing the, the world champs and beating them, right? There's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit of a letdown. They've got some injuries. Chase Young wasn't the only one. Um, Brandon Sheriff on the offensive line for Washington in and out of that game like three times. Obviously not super healthy. Uh, you mentioned some of the other Washington football team players that are not on the field. So injuries, again, at this point of the year. But Washington's kind of playing well out of its mind. Are they going to regress or are they just going to be that sort of crazy hot team that is exceeding expectation? Um, and really taking it to what is a talented Panther squad. And then there's always the kind of, I, I think revenge gets overused or overstated, but rematch, let's just call it a rematch game between two two players that are pretty pretty familiar with each other. Did you hear what Rivera said when somebody asked him, uh, Did you do you have like a file of plays that if you ever ended up playing against Cam, you would use? Did you hear what he said? No. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's and a defensive they probably coach won't work. <laughs> they probably won't work, but you know, he's like, man, how would I defend this? Because you know defensive coaches do that, even with their own quarterbacks, right? Like, if I had to come up against this superhero, what would I do? I bet I could beat him. And he filed that stuff away. So going to be a bit of a rubber match that way to see if it actually works. Who knows? Oh, man. And you know what's crazy about it to me? is that, you know, we, we put down four games here that we really can't wait to watch. There's four others this week that I very easily could have, like Saints-Eagles, super intriguing to me, especially uh-huh. with, you know, a really good run defense with the Saints and a really dominant run defense or run offense lately with the Eagles that we talked about. Like, that's an amazingly intriguing game. Packers-Vikings, you know, Kirk Cousins only thrown two picks all year going against... Aaron Rodgers and Packers Vikings traditionally has been a very entertaining rivalry. Uh, like Colts Bills, I think is low key like super cool uh, in terms of like AFC playoff seating implications because the Colts are fighting back after like a one and four start. They're five and five. Uh, the Bills are coming off a big win, but like the Colts are 
kind of a good team themselves. Jonathan Taylor's making a run for Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, Ravens Bears, you got Justin Fields, you know, trying to keep, uh, you know, coming off the bye, trying to keep his, you know, trajectory moving upward against a very aggressive Ravens defense that is salty as fuck after losing to the Dolphins. Mm. Like, there's a lot of good games this week. I mean, a lot, like more than we could fit in the watch list like by double <laughs> so it's it's gonna be a loaded show next week i could tell you that much because there's there's gonna be a lot to talk about yeah if we go back a couple of weeks too right it was hard to pick three we definitely didn't pick four and now we can't fit and it all in one I segment was, i sit down to fill this out this week and i was like oh oh oh, oh, oh. And look at that i was just like and that one and then i was like oh shit that's like eight games i'm gonna have to, have to <laughs> cut that down but it, that's what i meant when i said low-key kind of good interesting matchup week there's just a lot of fascinating stuff going on if you're paying attention and this is yeah next week's show is going to be a lot of fun we're going to have some cool nuggets to to pick out and bring to everybody so before we get out of here, I do want to thank uh, Konsti and Marat again, our executive producers at the top level of the Patreon right now. Uh, I once again want to extend our thanks out to Lucas, Lee, Kojo490, and Carter, who joined the Patreon this week. Uh, remember, guys, you can get your uh, discounts on merch over at bootlegfootballpodcast.com if you so desire. Uh, that's just a benefit you get as a patron. For everybody else listening, if you've made it this far, what are we, like two hours into the show, something like that, uh, you guys are fucking warriors, so thank you for that. And uh, we'll be back next week with probably a very, very long Week 11 recap. See you guys later. Take care.